Welcome to the Roots Podcast, brought to you from the Training and Equipping Ministry of Chanctonbury, exploring revival, church, leadership and culture. Discover more about our community at chanctonbury.org.uk. Well, welcome to the pod, Bishop Ruth, Bishop of Horsham here in West Sussex. Great to have you back for, for round two. How are you Thank doing? Thank you for having me back. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, good. It's a sunny, sunny day, so all is well. Those of you who picked up part one, uh, Bishop Ruth was just dropping some gold about leadership, about character, um, about um, how we handle our heart stuff um, and uh, giving some real wisdom and inspiration for across the spectrum of ages and stages uh, for us as we're growing as leaders. Um, in this episode, what we want to focus on is uh, leadership and particularly just how it relates to some of the issues uh, that women may face um, and we all may be handling uh, just as we're growing. So uh, we're going to jump straight in there, tons to, tons to explore and unpack. Um, And where I'm going to start um, is coming from our context, which is one where um, we would delight in seeing women leaders flourishing amongst us in all ministries and at all levels. Um, But as people who are trying to submit our lives to the word of God and to the scriptures, um, I wanted to just ask you, Bishop Ruth, um, how do you handle some of the trickier passages in scripture that seem to be very prescriptive um, in not permitting women to speak in church um, or to teach and, and those sorts of things. So how how do you now as our bishop, one that we rejoice is in authority over us as church, um, how do you handle those uh, scriptural passages? Yeah, thanks, James. It is a huge question and it's, you know, impossible to summarize about a hundred years of church um wrangling <laughs> and um massive massive amounts of theological ink has been spilled over this topic over over the years um but i'll do my best um uh, the first thing is to say that i have a very very high view of scripture so anyone approaching this topic of gender roles and and the appropriate roles of women in the church um particularly authoritative roles in the church around um, bible teaching or priestly ministry um my starting point is a very high view of scripture um that we, we we're submitted we're not standing over scripture um we're submitted underneath it and trying to approach it humbly as the authoritative word of God in all matters for faith and conduct and doctrine. And um, all serious theologians from all sides take that approach. And that's really important to say, because it's not at all that James and Lou or I have are the ones who take the Bible seriously and we have the right interpretation and other people aren't really taking the Bible as seriously as us and therefore they're wrong at all. Um, all serious theologians on, on this difficult topic take, take the Bible as authoritative. Um, so one of the reasons why it's such a tricky area is because people with equal desire to submit to the authority of scripture 
come out with very different conclusions on how to interpret key passages. So that's why, you know, a hundred years of ink has been spilled on this. And um, it's involved a lot of heartbreak because people are very sincerely trying to discern the will of God under under scripture. Um, the second thing to say is that I would want to read the what we might call the difficult passages. I think we're talking primarily about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. We want to take all of scripture in the light of all of scripture. That's how we're interpreting scripture in the light of scripture. There's one canon of scripture. There's no particular book that's more godly or more inspired by the spirit or more authoritative than any other book. We have the whole canon of scripture. And in the light of every passage, we interpret it through the rest of scripture. So when let me read uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12, and then share a few thoughts. So 1 Timothy 2, um, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young church leader, and he says this, uh, let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. Um, so I, my starting point would be the whole witness of scripture, because when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he is undeniably uh, radical in the way that he views and speaks to and treats women. Um, I would argue that he had female disciples. Everybody knows he had 12 men. I would argue from scripture he had a number of female disciples as well. And I would look at passages like Martha and Mary, which are often taught uh, to do with sort of busyness and prayer. And don't be like Martha. She was busy. Be like Mary. She went to pray. Um, I don't ever teach that passage that way. I see that as a really radical passage about one woman adopting when Jesus arrived the absolutely traditional role of domestic hostess and the other woman adopting the utterly radical posture of going into the front room where only the men were allowed sitting in the posture of a disciple at the feet of the rabbi who was teaching the men apprenticing the men um, in in the scriptures and in in the kingdom and and she was in a posture of being trained as a disciple um, and uh, she's commended for doing so, for being in in the room with the men and being in that position of learning. Um, and then, of course, you go to the cross and you go to Easter Sunday and you cannot escape the, you know, it is staggering, absolutely staggering that the pivot point of all of, eternal history is given to a woman to witness you know the resurrection when the testimony of a woman is not uh, admissible in a court of law because she's too unreliable and too prone to hysteria a woman women are given the news so the the first apostles the first messengers who are sent from god to witness to the resurrection are all women and the text is very clear so that would be there are plenty of other places um and in paul's writings as well um 
where you would say the testimony of scripture is very, very pro-women and very pro-women's ministry. Um, Paul the Apostle is accused of being a misogynist. I don't believe that is true. I think he was absolutely radical in his writing. He makes it very clear with Priscilla and Aquila, their home group leaders. Priscilla is named first, which is very unusual. Um, Phoebe in Romans uh, 16 is listed as one of um, one of the servants of the church, um, that there are deacons. Um, we think Phoebe was entrusted with the letter of Paul's letter to the Romans and her job wasn't just to deliver it, but the job of the person carrying the letter was to read the letter and interpret it, answer questions about it. So I have named my own daughter Phoebe um, because purely because of that. Um, and there's all kinds of places in Paul's writings where he encourages, for example, women to prophesy. So women to have speaking roles in the churches. So when Paul writes to Timothy, I do not permit a woman to speak elsewhere. He's expressly permitted women to speak. Um, so to, in prayer and prophecy. So it requires very careful um, interpretation. I on this particular passage, and then we can move on. Um, and again, we could sp speak for hours on this. Personally, my personal interpretation of it is that this is a deeply contextual passage, as every line of scripture is. This was a letter written to a particular leader of a particular church in a particular place at a particular time. And uh, Ephesus was a very famous city uh, dominated by uh, temple worship, the temple of Diana, um, temple prostitution, and that there's a cultural context behind these verses. Um, Paul's commitment is to encourage orderly worship, and the women in the congregation are totally uneducated. Uh, none of them went to school, none of them know how to read or write, and so if there is a there, it seems to me that there's an issue with the newfound liberation of the women. They've been taught that in Christ there is no Greek or Jew, no male or female, all are one, and that they are heirs, they are inheritance of the promise of God, co-heirs with Christ and co-heirs with their brothers in Christ. This is absolutely revolutionary. Mm. And one can easily imagine the kind of confidence and boldness that that gave the women and the liberation that that gave the women and one can easily imagine them heckling the preacher asking questions shouting out standing up uh, wanting to know more and Paul writing to say you have not got enough education and knowledge yet to be engaging in this way he wants orderly worship and the, the, it's really a fascinating verse because the verse is, verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with full submission. And, and people find the last few words incredibly difficult. Uh, and, and we recoil from the idea of in silence with full submission. The early church would have gone, had a similar recoil to the words, let a woman learn. So Paul is commanding mm. Timothy and the church 
to teach the women. Let the women learn. Mm. That is absolutely mind-blowingly radical. Mm. These women need to be taught. And while they're being taught, they need to know. They need to be still and be quiet and listen and learn and submit to the authority of the teachers of the church. So that's that's how I would take that verse. There's a lot more to be said about um, how the gospel turns on its head the role of women in that culture and some of the dress codes, for instance, in Corinthians when women are told to keep with their head coverings. A lot of that's around in contrast to the temple prostitutes who mm. signify their mm. prostitution by uncovering their hair, mm. you know. Um, but that's how I'd read it. Just one final thing to say before I find out your next question, James, is that I would always want to endeavour to fully, fully respect and love and pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who do not interpret this passage in the way that I do. And I think that's really important because they're not misogynist. They're not um, anti-women's ministry. Um, they're not, um, uh, you know, just oppressive patriarchy. Um, in almost all contexts that I've ever known, uh, churches that teach a limited number of roles for women in ministry and uh, who would not have voted in favour of me becoming a bishop, for instance, or who would not invite me to come and teach the Bible on a Sunday, mm. they would be fully committed to the same gospel that I am committed to. And they would have, uh, uh, yeah, I, I would have full respect and love for them. Thank you, Bishop Ruth. Um, I, can, I, can we just, could I, if you wouldn't mind, um, just explore a bit how you as a leader in God's church, as a, as a bishop, uh, the youngest, as we said in, in our previous episode, the youngest bishop now uh, in, the, in the Church of England, how do you go about, um, what's my question? My question is, how do you handle your own heart being someone who is inevitably breaking brand new ground. You're the first female bishop uh, the area of Horsham has ever had uh, and the Diocese of Chichester uh, has ever had. You know, uh, you must be finding yourself in lots of situations where there are loads and loads of men and um, you are having to come in and there's a whole jumble of um, church tradition, different beliefs about scripture and all of that. And there you are. How how do you handle yourself in that? Um, and how are you how are you finding your own process of of trying to do that well? And um if you if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Um this is a different kind of a role, a different kind of a, a, a platform if you like from my last role but in my last role it was in many ways even more of a, a men's club <laughs> sort of I was leading a large Church of England church evangelical church and I think there are when I when I arrived in that role there were only five women in the whole country 
who were leading large evangelical churches, four or five at the most. So that was much more of a male-dominated network. Um, we had the larger church leaders network in my diocese of 12 large churches, and I was you know, the only woman in that network. Um, things changed very quickly in the six years that I was vicar of St Paul's Dorking um, as appointments were made um, and uh, continued to change very quickly. So that's not at all the situation today. And in only six years, you know, it's really shifted. So I'm 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 used to being in a, a very male-dominated environment and to and to leading and serving in in a room that has mainly men in it. Um, in the seven uh, six years uh, in that same time, um, so when I arrived at St Paul's Dorking six years ago, uh, there was no such thing as female bishops. So that's how quickly things have changed. So six years ago, the legislation went through and we saw the first one. And uh, I, I'm not sure how many, I think there are 20 now. Um, so my, my approach coming here has been to be at peace with being me, that God has called me and all I can do is be me. Everyone else is taken, you know. <laughs> it's like uh, it, it's it's sort of me or 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 not me at all. And given that God has called me to this, then my only job really is to serve as me and uh, not apologise for being me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not just about my gender. That's about my gifts. That's about my background. That's about my the way that I teach the Bible, the way that I do ministry. And that's not that I can't change and grow because I would want to have a lifetime of changing and growing. Um, but I think you have to get, you get to a point of peace when you, you know, you arrive in a new role, uh, particularly when there's a certain amount of, um, well, quite a range of expectations or you're the first, you know, the first anything to do anything. Um, so everywhere I go, I'm I'm sort of vaguely aware this is every church I go to at the moment. This is the first time they've ever had a female bishop walk through the door. Um, when I was um, installed at the cathedral, it was the first time, you know, when I preached at the cathedral, it was the first time. And you think how old the cathedral is, but they've never had a female bishop preach in that pulpit before. Um, when I was ordained, when I was consecrated, I was the first woman to ever be consecrated by another woman in the Church of England um, because I was consecrated by Bishop Sarah, the Bishop of London. It just never happened before. So in the background, there are all these firsts, but um, I try to not be too aware of that and not overthink that because I think that would, wouldn't be helpful. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to keep things simple to be as, as secure as I can in my own calling and gifting and just trying to be me. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly spend much time thinking about the fact that I'm a woman. I never have. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot about the fact that I'm a leader, and I think a lot about the fact that I'm a Christian. Mm. But being a woman or a wife or a mum or or 
female is not something that occupies a huge amount of my own headspace. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I. But I suppose I am increasingly aware of being a, a, a role model. Mm. I think I am increasingly aware of that mm. um, because once young women or girls can, you know, you go to a primary school mm. and they see there's a female bishop, suddenly the possibility is open to them in a way that it just wouldn't be if I was standing there as a man. Um, I've heard the same from Bishop Rose, who's the Bishop of Dover and the Church of England's first black female bishop. And she said the same thing, that black girls can look at her and say, wow, I, I could do that. That is a possibility now for me. And that's quite a profound responsibility. Mm. Yeah, w- wonderful. Um, I mean, you talked just now about being, um, being becoming aware of being a role model. Um, what would you say to, um, I'm going to ask you the question about everybody and about us as men in a few moments, but what would you say to any women engaging in this, you know, feeling called, into leadership whether it's in church whether it's in business whether it's in education in government um feeling like maybe like you they they're gonna need to break some new ground or um you know all the talk in society the gender the uh gap in wages between genders that that feeling of there being some ceilings um, that we're going to have to crash through. Um, what would you say uh, as advice or encouragement or inspiration uh, to them uh, who are tuning into this? I think it goes back to what we were talking about on the last podcast about security in deep, deep security in who God has made you to be and the calling he has on your own life. Um, Because out of that security, anything is possible. Um, And to do the inner work on discerning your calling, um, because if you are, it's a discernment piece because you can sometimes be uh, pushing at a glass ceiling and um, actually or pushing at a career move or a promotion or a, a, a leadership role or a place of influence where you're not, um, you're not getting anywhere. And it might be because God has not called you to that. Mm. Uh, this is true for men or women. Um, it might be that God has called you to the struggle and to the fight. And actually your role is to be the first to plow that, furrow or to break that ceiling or to you know and actually that might be a long season of battle and perseverance Uh, so there's a there's a really significant discernment piece isn't there over for all of us over which spheres God has called us to lead into and how tough or otherwise that's going to be Um, I think for for some of us 
much of um, non sort of secular careers are much further ahead of the church as a place to lead or to minister or to have some kind of paid um, stipendiary um, role or, or hold an office or hold an authorised ministry. You know, we've only had female bishops for six years, whereas most companies have had female CEOs um, or the equivalent for a lot longer. We've had female head teachers for centuries now. So it it does depend what sphere you're in. Mm. Um, uh, and for some, the church is is lagging behind significantly in um, if you just look at our data, um, so in the Diocese of Chichester, we're sort of quite low on the league table of women in ministry, particularly women in, in incumbents, incumbent roles. And we're really, really trying to change that. And it takes takes a lot of time. It, you know, change is slow in the church, um, but we've come a very long way in, in six years. Um, but I, I would... I would encourage real discernment in fellowship with other people, that if it's a real struggle and a real battle um, to discern whether that is something you're really called to or whether um, that's, something, that that's a door that you're pushing, that the Holy Spirit has closed. And, yeah, that applies to men and women. Yeah. Yeah, ter- terrific. Um, I've, I've got two more questions. Um, the first is, uh, what would you say to those of us who are men participating in this, how we can play our part in championing, encouraging um, to see men and women, uh, but but particularly on this subject, to see women really flourish as leaders? Yeah, oh, that's a great question. It's a really important one. Um, and if I can speak really candidly, there's there's a massive role for for men to play here. Um, I never had female role models in church ministry growing up. Um, there were two women who were Bible teachers and speakers who I really they were my role models: Amy or Ewing and Elaine Storkey. Neither of them were or are ordained. So there were two women speakers who, when they stood up at conferences, I thought, when I'm older, oh, you know, that's what I want to do. That's what God's calling me to do. I want to be as good as that. Um, And still to this day, they have amazing ministries and uh, women who I really admire. But they weren't ordained. I only had ordained men as role models. So if you're an ordained man, please consider your... Or, or, or you don't have to be ordained, but a lay male leader in the church, please um, consider your life and your ministry to be a really, really good thing for women um, because you are you have the potential for being really powerful role models, friends, prayer partners, mentors and encouragers. Um, and women need men. We, we do you know, women who who want to be leaders or who are leaders or who are moving into leadership roles, we need men around us to pray for us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to challenge us, to knock some of our edges off, to help us improve in our gifting, to give us really robust feedback in a loving way and to to treat us as with as, as much intentional 
mentoring and respect um, as you would any man that you were raising up um, to. And they, they, they've done a lot of research on this. And there's a lot of evidence that men are much more likely to mentor men. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. And some of them, you know, there's safeguarding and sensible ratios and relationships and all that kind of thing. But fundamentally, women miss out on brilliant mentoring mm-hmm. um, because men, are, for all kinds of reasons, don't offer it and don't sort of talent spot women as quickly as men talent spot other young men. Mm-hmm. Um to the young men, can I say a word? This is, this is, this is, I'll say something really risky, shall I? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say something really risky. If you're a guy, you know, teenage, 20s, 30s, one of the reasons that young women do not pursue a calling to church leadership is because they fear that it will make them deeply unattractive as a girlfriend or as a fiancé or as a wife. Mm. And that if they step into the call of God on their lives, they will be off the shelf in terms of the, um, um, a potential male partner. And a lot of women, not all women at all, but a lot of women deeply desire to get married and have a lifelong male partner. Not all women, but many women do. Many Christian women do. And so they have to weigh up whether they train for ordained ministry or whether they get trained as a preacher or whether they step up as a worship leader and and occupy that space, that leadership space when doing so will harm their prospects of being asked out or going on a date or having someone propose or seeing them as marriage material. And that is a very, very, very real thing. Mm. That means the church, and I don't think it's just the Church of England, but it's definitely the Church of England, is losing out on an entire cohort of young women who would be brilliant leaders but they first, they hold back because they want to be considered as marriage material. So it's very... Can I show you that? So so what would you say is the mindset shift that is needed? Yeah, great. So the mindset shift... Yeah, the mindset shift in men is around... Total, um, total desire to see all your friends, whether they're male or female, utterly press into the full calling of God, whatever that is, male or female, mm. and to be a peer. So, so you know, a, a young woman of of sixteen who's got preaching gifts mm. will have. People in the church, I I expect and hope, who are 35, 45, 65, saying to her, that was great. You're awesome. We've been praying for you. Can I pay for you to go on a conference, et cetera? But 
the thing that makes more difference than anything else is, is if around her, her own peer group are saying, that was awesome. We loved that. Please do that more. How can we pray for you? How can we encourage you? And that's not just from your girlfriends, mm. but it's from boys who are friends yeah. and, and men who are 21, 23, 25, who you look up to and you think, you know, they're gorgeous mm. and they're inspiring and they're, they're, they're pressing into their full calling with passion for God and, and growing his kingdom. And around them, they see their sisters in Christ as also people that they've got a responsibility mm. to totally encourage and see flourish and see released. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think young women particularly, there's a real power in that young male voice mm. of, of genuine, sincere appreciation and encouragement. Yeah. Well, come on. If you're listening to this, chaps, let's step up there. Um, that's brilliant. Thanks. Um, thanks, Bishop Ruth, uh, so much. Um, I uh, Final question uh, on this is, um, and, and I'm obviously talking from a, a church leadership perspective, but hopefully we can apply this if we're running teams at work or um, leaders in other spheres. Uh, my, my question is, what would you say to us, to leadership teams, on how to intentionally forge a healthy environment that allows women to, to grow into spiritual leadership? You've, you've t- touched on it a bit in terms of interpersonal relationships, but, but say, say for us, regrouping as a team, looking ahead, thinking, what are we dreaming for? You know what? What does what does kingdom health look like in our environment? How can we? What would we pay attention to so that actually we're we're just seeing um, uh, men, but definitely women, growing into spiritual leadership in our environment? Mm. I think it comes down to a hundred tiny things. It comes down to the tiny details of church life, relationships, governance, that where it's like you're flying a 747 jet and the dashboard has a thousand dials and you're tweaking each little dial. When was the last time the PCC reviewed its maternity pay policy? Is there even one? When the PCC last advertised for a role, did they make sure that a couple of women had a look at the words and that the phrasing that was used for that role was the sorts of phrasing that would encourage a woman to not count herself out mm. because of the way it was? Who, who wrote it? Was it you know a couple of guys who put it together? And was it phrased in a way that actually came across as quite masculine and would just very, very subtly put off a woman applicant. Um, What kind of translation of the Bible do you speak from every Sunday when it's read out? Is it a Bible that says brothers or does it say brothers and sisters? Um, 
when, like with you, James and Lou, you lead together, how is that expressed and worked out? And what kind of platform does Lou have in her own right to model senior leadership? Not because she's your wife, but not denying her calling to be your wife and to flourish as your partner in the gospel and you as her partner in the gospel. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a hundred tiny nuances. Some of it's data. Um, looking at um, representation and who really holds the power in this church? Who's really consulted over decisions? Mm. Um, uh, which groups of women in our parish are unreached with the gospel mm. because of, they're invisible um, so that our, our mission just doesn't, you know, doesn't reach them? Mm. Um, how are we really doing in terms of single mums mm. and trying to help them really access church on a Sunday, which when you're part of a nuclear family and there's two of you in the marriage it's hard enough i always think it's a miracle when a family of young with young kids shows up to, to get out the house on a sunday morning with people with their teeth brushed and clothes on it's it's an it's <laughs> such a tall order when there's two adults and two children but what if you're a single mom of three you know it's it's trying to think this through explicitly and just have that um, eyes and ears. Um, and then it comes down to all kinds of things about safety um, and part of, part of your safeguarding work. Um, domestic violence is a massive issue in Sussex. Um, you know, uh, Mothering Sunday, thinking through the pastoral uh, dynamics and the pain and um, that when you're preaching and applying the word uh, you're you know you might be speaking into a workplace or the jokes might all be about the football results or you know the, <laughs> and actually how how is that preacher applying this to the world of the men and the world of the women mm. um, just you know, loads of little attunements. And the problem with it, here's the problem with it, is that if you're going to get better at it, what you have to do is you have to pick up on people on a micro level. Yeah. And then people say, you're just fussing about one sentence in my sermon where I said, you know, the pastor and always referred to him as he. And, and, oh, you know, you're just a woman fussing. You know, you're just some kind of obsessive feminist. And, um, and the problem is that you can't make micro adjustments unless you make micro criticisms and unless you say to each other, I give you permission to pull me up on a tiny joke that I told or a tiny, a tiny kind of bit of banter at staff meeting mm. where we made a, a joke about uh, what, that female preacher was wearing mm. instead of anyone commenting on what she actually said and you have so you have to give people permission to say as you do with issues of race 
and all the microaggressions that come with um, racial um, issues in churches, you know, we have to say, please pick me up on this in a tiny way because that's where the battle will be won. Yeah, terrific. So good and and a real challenge um, and one that uh, let's all accept and embrace and um, and really run after. Uh, so uh, I just want to say a big, big thank you, Bishop Ruth. Uh, please come again. Uh, <laughs> glorious uh, two episodes with you and um, from us all, just so appreciate um, who you are, how God's using you and uh, all that you're bringing to life here in Sussex. Uh, Go well. We pray for you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for joining us on The Roots Podcast. To connect with our community and to find other resources, visit chanctonbury.org.uk.